This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 381 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will talk about Idin Terzic becoming Borussia Dortmund's technical director, the signing of Gregor Kobel, and we will take a look at the rumor mill and what positions we might need to improve this summer. For that and more, joins me Matthias Zuck. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Uh, aside from a head cold, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And also here... Lars Perman, hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm fine. <laughs> very good, very good. Also fine apparently is Edin Tessic because he has a contract until 2025 and uh, has assumed the role of technical director, which I assume was uh, sort of created for him. I think he explained it this way that uh, uh, as they were sitting all together, Sorg, Watzke, Kehl, etc., during their season analysis that uh, this was sort of uh, the thing he wanted to do. And uh, I think he jokingly said that essentially he is now the assistant coach of Michael Zorc and Sebastian Kehl instead of Marco Rose. Now, obviously, that was already a decision that came up during the news conference of Marco Rose when he was presented to the public. Matthias, what do you think of this move that Borussia Dortmund sort of created a role for Edin Terzic where he is, I guess, an intermediary between team and uh, uh, the the front office is involved in squad planning and, uh, you know, taking care of players that are on loan, like all, all these responsibilities. So he says he's working in tandem with Otto Addo there. Um, what are you making of uh, this sort of job and how do you think it will suit Edin Terzic and how important is it for Borussia Dortmund that despite offers from other Bundesliga clubs and I guess other clubs from uh, other countries uh, that he wanted to stay put and sort of generated a role for himself and what does it say that he in the end is not the assistant manager of Marco Rose as has it been previously communicated? Long question but now you can go. <laughs> Well, I mean, that requires like 20 different answers there. Um, I mean, I read through what he said about it and it seemed, you know, this was his request. And and the the way I saw the words from Tzok and Vatska is they had actually planned for him to be the assistant. And so this wasn't necessarily something that they had initially envisioned at the end of the season. Um, but it sounds like it entails through internal reflection decided that this was the path he wanted to go. He didn't want to be a coach at a different club. He wanted to stay with Borussia Dortmund. I mean, we're going to talk about it. I mean, it's he lived his dream so intensely in such a short period of time and did such an amazing job uh, under crazy circumstances, both internally and externally, that, you know, how do you actually top that? Uh, and, and in the world of football management, um, and coaching, which obviously is one that he's been in now for a while, you know, the 
you unless you win the Bundesliga or the Champions League, there's like it's hard for him to top that experience immediately. And and it feels like he decided, you know what? That was so intense. I don't really want to go into a coaching a team that I have no passion for. I want to stick with Borussia Dortmund. I want to learn more about all facets and see what direction. Do I really want to be a coach? Do I want to go into the front office, given his age? I mean, he's still under the age of 40. That makes sense. To not then be the assistant of the person taking his place, even though he knew this move was going to happen, essentially, when he started. You know, I understand that. It would be awkward. It would be awkward for Marco Rosa, even though Marco Rosa had only great things to say about him. Uh, but, you know, once things start going south, because eventually you're going to have a down period. That's just the natural state of everything. And if you have the guy on your bench who led Dortmund to a cup win and the Champions League and a good run in the Champions League, the press will immediately go, so is Tezic going to be the next coach? Is Tezic going to be the next coach? Now, actually, that that element is still there because if things would go really badly, you do have someone you could plug in, uh, which is a luxury. It really is a luxury. So I feel like it makes sense for the club. It makes sense for Tezic. It is a huge statement for A, Borussia Dortmund as a place you want to be. And again, underlining the character of Edin Tezic, who isn't, it's not about the limelight, the big dollars, because he could have cashed in and gone to a, a club, made a ton of money and stuff like that as a coach. But that apparently is not what intrinsically motivates him. And I find that, A, extraordinarily good and endearing and something we need in this time, especially in sports, where so many people are just out for their, for basically money and fame. And that just doesn't seem to be his thing at this point. So, Lars, obviously... Borussia Dortmund have something called the Elefantenrunde, where uh, Zorg, Watzke, the coach, Kiel, Sommer, and so, so on, I guess, are all sitting around the table and debating things, you know, things of state or whatever of Borussia Dortmund. Um, Tessic now, as far as I know, will obviously be an integral part of this, and uh, the role he has created for himself, I think, is very influential. Um, Something I'm wondering about is how much power and influence do you think Tessic has with the assumption of the role of technical director? And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? What's your take on it? Well, first of all, I'm not necessarily buying the idea that uh, everybody was ready and willing for him to be his coach and him out of the blue, more or less deciding or not necessarily out of the blue, but on his own accord, if you like, deciding that, you know what, I don't want to have that role, I want to do something else. I'm pretty sure that everybody's kind of happy they found a solution to keep him around without uh, the awkwardness that Matthias described. Uh, I never, and I said this on, on this podcast a few times, never really made sense to me for Terzic to be an assistant to Rose because he already has an established coaching team, which he has brought from Gladbach. So... I don't know what kind of responsibilities uh, an additional assistant coach would have had and certainly the benefit of that would have been undermined by uh, the awkwardness as said before. So 
I think they wanted to keep him around for obvious reasons. One being he's a great guy to have around. I mean, obviously he loves this club uh, dearly as he's, uh, I think, proven sufficiently over his uh, seven months or so in, in charge of the first team. He can uh, excite people, uh, fans and players alike for the club. So uh, in whatever ambassadorial uh, context his new role might come in that that's that will come in handy um i'm I'm not sure that anybody can really make any sort of uh conclusions as to what his actual responsibilities will be going forward i mean there's all these mm, buzzwords if you like of things that he's going to be in charge of or be involved in but uh do does anybody really know what Edin Terzic is going to do Monday to Friday 9 to 5. I don't think that's uh, something that we can assume. So it remains to be seen what his actual responsibilities are. I think personally that he's probably going to be more of a factor going forward once uh, Michel Zorc is out of the picture, as le- at least as, as sporting director, with obviously Sebastian Kiel getting promoted to that job. Um, Kiel right now heads the department of licensed players, which is basically uh, him being groomed for the sporting director role. Uh, I'm assuming that that position is not going to be filled next season, so that Terzic has, is going to have more responsibilities that uh, the right-hand man of the sporting director would have. Um, so in that in that regard, I think he's going to be more influential going forward. And you know, having someone with a, a broad spectrum of experiences can only help in that regard. I mean, he worked in the Premier League. He worked in Turkey. He's now been assistant coach and head coach at Dortmund. He's been involved in youth department. He's been a scout for Dortmund. So despite his young age, that Matthias reference, he's uh, quite experienced in a lot of different areas. Uh, of the sport, if you like, uh, more so even than Sebastian Kiel, who has basically been a pro player, a TV expert, and you know this understudy to talk. I think you could make the case that Terzic has a wider range of experiences. Uh, so I think that's going to be where his uh, main focus should lie, anyway, uh, in helping Kiel, especially early on, because I think. Uh, the the way they've worked for the last 25 or so years uh, ever since Zorc came into this position I think in 98 or 2000 or something like that uh, I think back then this was a one-man job being the sporting director no, not many clubs had like a, a big backroom staff for that department and given all the demands on uh, pro football clubs these days I think it's imperative to have more than one set of capable hands. And I think, if nothing else, Edin Terzic has, has proven to love Dortmund dearly, to uh, be a capable set of hands at, uh, in in a few different areas. So keeping him around is definitely good news, even though I don't think anybody can really say with any kind of certainty what exactly he's going to do. Yeah, I think in general... It helps Sebastian Kehl that Tessic is still around because um, I think Dortmund maybe were looking into uh, 
the option of having, you know, a second-hand man for him. I think, you know, the name of Sven Mislintat certainly made the rounds, but uh, that I don't know how realistic that ever was for him to sort of be the number two under Kiel. Um, but I think for Tersic, um, you know, for, or, or rather for Kiel to have Tersic as a, as a resource and as a colleague, um, that's going to be worth a lot because I don't know how much... Uh, expertise and skill uh, Sebastian Kiel actually brings to the table to guide a club like Borussia Dortmund as a sporting director is obviously huge shoes to fill and uh, it's going to be a big transition for Dortmund it's going to be uh, quite the change so um, yeah, <laughs> handing over the, the reins to Sebastian Kiel I don't, I don't know how many Dortmund fans are actually like 100% uh, uh, convinced about that move, and we can talk about that uh, plenty when uh, it, it, you know, comes closer. But in the meantime, I think now is a really good time to uh, make a cut and talk about a new signing. Borussia Dortmund did sign Gregor Kobel from VfB Stuttgart, uh, 24-year-old. He signed a contract until 2026, uh, I think, and uh, yeah. He's one meter ninety-five tall, uh, and uh, in his past bounced around between Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim, Augsburg, Stuttgart. Um, obviously, uh, Rose, as we've already talked about in the previous show, uh, said right from the outset uh, that uh, he assumes that you know if you sign a goalkeeper like that, that he will play. Obviously, Roman Bürki is still around, which might have more to do with uh, the the funds that Roman Bürki is earning than anything else. Um, Matthias, obviously, a Swiss goalkeeper, so that should make you happy. But how happy are you really with this transfer? And do you think he is an instant upgrade over the goalkeepers that Dortmund previously had or still have? Well, yeah, I mean, it's easy now for me to just say, well, definitely will be a Swiss goalkeeper for Dortmund uh, in the net next season. Uh, you know, with Kobe, he had a very good season at uh, Stuttgart. He's still very young, and, you know, everybody knows that keepers tend to mature much later and have much longer careers on average. I also, correction, he's still 23. Sorry. 23. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, you think about Roman Weidenfeller, how long he was still actually playing very well, and then eventually it just drops off dramatically, but it's that's sports, you know. Um as far as my thoughts on him, I think when you have a keeper that is showing so much talent and playing so well at a young age who you can get from within the league, which obviously has its advantages, uh, one, you know, whether or not it's made to weaken an opponent, I wouldn't say that, but more about they understand the pace of the league, they understand who they're dealing with. Uh, obviously, language is not an issue. But communication, as we have noted, that was one of the weaknesses of Roman Bürki is communication. So if you would throw in a keeper who doesn't even speak German, uh, when you've got, right now you're looking at Akanji and uh, Hummels right in front of you, uh, so two German speakers, it just, it would make it harder. You know, language is very important in the sport for communication, but for a keeper even more so. Uh, I don't know how vocal Kobel is. I don't, don't, you know, you can't really analyze that too terribly much in most 
Bundesliga matches that you see on TV because they don't tend to focus on the keeper that often. Uh, as far as if it's an upgrade over Buki and Hits, I mean, he's better than Hits, but I also still maintain that Buki is better than Hits. Um, is it an upgrade over Buki? You know, Kubel is coming off of a season with high confidence. Buki is coming off a season where his confidence took a major hit. And he's such a confidence-based player that I would say initially, yes, it's an upgrade. Unfortunately, only time will tell. Because uh, then we'll also see, is this a keeper issue or is this a backline issue? Is this a, a tactical issue? And of course, with a new coach coming in, who really knows? And I agree with you, the reason that Roman Buki is probably still at Borussia Dortmund is simply down to wages and, and transfer fee that's wanted and just negotiations in the, the current pandemic market climate. Uh, so I do believe Buki will move on and then you'll have Kulbe who will be number one ahead of hits. Because if he's not ahead of hits, then I just don't understand the point of it all. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund did pay 15 million euros for him as far as I know. Um, so... I think it's fair to say that Roman Bürki is a really good shot stopper. You know, he is, his reflex saves are really good. And I don't know if Kobel is on that level, but uh, certainly uh, I'm very confident in saying that Kobel is better at saving penalties because he did save a penalty already, <laughs> which Bürki so far has not. Um, something that often annoyed me about Roman Bürki and something I totally... Um, underestimated when Dortmund signed him was uh, you know his his play with the ball on his feet and him you know not being maybe the presence in the box that uh, I, I feel he, he should have been um, I feel that Dortmund who are very much a possession based team when you pass the ball to Roman Bürki or when he's supposed to pass the ball out um, I I think there are just a lot of punts into nowhere and uh an area that Dortmund definitely need to improve. And I think Gregor Kobel is certainly someone who does that. So, uh, you know, even if it's a small detail, I think uh, it really helps Dortmund and uh, their entire build-up play. Um, even even if it's minor, uh, you know, Berkey's long kicks to, I don't know, sometimes the sideline or so, just were very uninspiring and... Uh, doesn't often help to to keep position and, and to to uh, you know put opponents on pressure in the long term if you pass the ball back and he doesn't really have a good pass um obviously uh one thing i think Kobel does a little bit better is actually you know grabbing balls out of the air uh that are crossed into the box i i can definitely see that he leaves his line a little bit easier. I think there was a reluctance in both Burki and in hits uh, to to get off the line. And Dortmund did concede a couple of goals because of that, because they just didn't narrow the angle down close enough. Sometimes I feel like that's... I don't know if that's the, the Dortmund goalkeeper school, uh, the philosophy there or something else, but either way, um, something that's a little bit annoying. So my hope is that uh, Kobel is an improvement in in these two uh, departments. But obviously, you never really know how a goalkeeper makes the move from a club like Stuttgart to a club like Dortmund because obviously, in theory, you should face fewer shots and uh, you will have to uh, commit even fewer mistakes because you will be judged a bit differently. And I think at Borussia Dortmund level, it's absolutely crucial that you hardly make any mistakes ever, which... Uh, 
is of course not easy and uh, yeah we'll, we'll see Lars what are you making of this transfer I think it was definitely necessary for Dortmund to act on this position what is your take well I absolutely love it I think Kobel is their best chance at long-term stability at this crucial position um, I think people Asked me on Twitter, is he the second best goalkeeper in Germany right now? Which I guess people think should be Dortmund's target as, you know, the second or third best club in the country. Uh, I don't think he is yet. I don't think many 23-year-olds would have a chance at that. Uh, unless, you know, you're talking about uh, a generational talent like Donnarumma, who, no, wasn't available for Dortmund. Uh, even though people thought, you know, he's... Uh, out of contract at Milan, so he should be available. No, he wasn't for Dortmund, certainly not. Um, but, you know, given his talents, I think that uh, Kobe before long can be in that discussion uh, as the best goalkeeper after Manuel Neuer in the Bundesliga. And obviously Neuer being in his mid-30s, you don't know how long he's uh, going to be able to go on. So there's, there's a good chance, as I said, uh, they will have long-term stability with... Uh, him also, in my opinion, being a fairly obvious uh, instant upgrade over what they have right now. And I think both points are, have already kind of been mentioned. Uh, first of all, he is definitely more of a vocal presence, um, which Dortmund will have gotten a very strong recommendation on from Sven Mislintat, who has publicly said a, a number of times how Stuttgart will miss that in Kobel perhaps the most. Uh, and, and also has talked about his replacement, uh, Florian Müller, who was on loan at Freiburg last season from Mainz, had a good season. He's even younger than, than Kobel, but doesn't have that presence yet. And, and Mislintat has made a point about, you know, Müller having to grow into the kind of leadership role that Kobel had, despite Kobel only being, I don't know, a couple of months or a few months older than, than Müller. So that he's definitely uh, got that leadership presence, which I think every... A strong goalkeeper needs to have. I don't think, uh, especially for a club like Dortmund, having that the pure shot stopper that or that I I think we can, in broad strokes, kind of characterize Burki as uh, proof is in the pudding over the last few years that hasn't really worked out. Um, even though Burki has had some very strong seasons in which uh, the yellow wall pot panel has uh, defended him against major criticism in, in other media outlets. Uh, and the second part is, uh, you mentioned his size and, and his willingness to leave the nine. Uh, he's by far the most athletic goalkeeper Dortmund have had in many a year. I mean, uh, given, you know, Weidenfeller's age at the end, Weidenfeller was quite athletic, but he didn't have the size. Langerek was uh, tall, but not as strong. Uh, and then Berkey obviously being... Uh, you know, on the shorter end for goalkeepers. Yeah, but last the question mm -hmm. is, can Kobel do a bicycle kick? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that it's going to be any worse than Weidenfeller did against Legia. So uh, there's that. I mean, he's much better with the ball at his feet, as you mentioned. So um, given his athleticism, his, if we want to call it that bravery or, or uh, you know, aggressiveness or whatever, I think he uh, is going to prove a very competent goalkeeper early on in his Dortmund career with, uh, you know, the 
the highest ceiling any one of Dortmund's goalkeepers have had over the last few years. So, yeah, 15 million for a goalkeeper is quite a bit of money. I think uh, within Germany, only Manuel Neuer was even more expensive. But, you know, that was 10 years ago and twice as much. So if you adjust for inflation, uh, Kobe is nowhere near Manuel Neuer. And I guess that's also reflected in the relative performances. But still, uh, in my opinion, the best uh, solution for Dortmund this season and especially also uh, what Matthias mentioned I think uh, the, the the candidate that was most often talked about if Kobel had decided to stay at Stuttgart or maybe move to the Premier League which was also on apparently anyway uh, was Mike Magnon uh, who moved to Milan to replace Donnarumma and as Matthias mentioned uh, communication German skills for a goalkeeper probably more important than for any other position so uh, if all things being equal, if if we can assume that's kind of the case, then, you know, Kobel as a German speaker who knows the league will always get my nod anyway. So as I said, I, I absolutely love uh, this transfer. That's great. I'm uh, I'm more excited than I was before. Uh, if it has the last Pormann seal of approval, we all know that uh, never anything would go wrong with that. <laughs> Michael Merino, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> do you know how good Michael Merino is? He never got a chance at Dortmund, right? Just watch the just watch the Olympics. And and, and by the way, uh, not to get on too much of a tangent on Don Michael Merino, but uh, it was an absolute travesty, which admitted by Spanish media members that he wasn't in the uh, Spain Euro squad, and if he was, obviously they'd be playing on Sunday instead of Italy, right? <laughs> Matthias, uh, let's move over to players that are rumored to extend their contract. We have Moda Hood, I think, who is uh, very close to signing a new paper. And there's Mats Hummels. Um, what are you making of these rumors, which obviously are not official yet or anything has been finalized, but at least that's uh, reading the papers, that's sort of uh, the trajectory we are on. Uh, what are you making of it? I mean, they both make sense. Uh, Dahoud coming off his best season ever as a professional. And I think part of it was also down to then having a conversation with the new head coach in Marco Rosa and seeing where he sees Dahoud fitting in, where the plans are. And I think this is a, a very clear signal that Dahoud will be a central figure for Rosa and for Borussia Dortmund. And, you know, he's still pretty young. So this is great. That's logical. Mats Hummels. It's, um, you know, he actually was one of the German players at the Euros who I thought consistently probably played the best, um, which isn't saying much, I know, but I was, I was impressed by him. I was surprised. I didn't think he would play as well as he did, given, you know, just a lot of different variables. And so, you know, if they tie him down, extend his contract maybe by another year or two, probably indicates that he'll be ending his career as a Borussia Dortmund player, which I I applaud 100%. And we can almost ignore that little Bayern intermezzo at the beginning and then the, towards the end. Um, and it helps solidify that area, that position, and guide new players that are coming in uh, to fill the role next to him, depending on you know what Akanji's plans are post-Dortmund. Because I think there's a good chance that Akanji moves on from Dortmund in the next 
two, three years, depending on his form curve and maybe going to a place like the Premier League, which would actually be really suited to him, uh, or he's suited to it, better said, also with his his positioning and his pace and stuff like that. So overall, Dahoot, great. Hummels, I can see the logic behind that. I mean, I think Hummels is 32 right now. He was born in 88, right? So I'm in 89, so he should be in, in that range somewhere. Um, I think his, his contract would be running out in 2022, and I think the same applies to Mo Dahoot. Thus, uh, to me, these are two very obvious decisions. Obviously, Hummels not getting any long, younger and uh, the Hood, um always still a little bit of a question mark how he behaves with fans in the stands. Nevertheless, uh, what do you make of uh, these decisions if they actually come to fruition? Well, I think... First of all, it's important to note also that Dahoud is rumored to actually lower his wages uh, in order to get an, get a contract extension done. Um, so, you know... Getting, I was going to ask you that because I, I didn't know that and that uh, obviously would be amazing for them. Yeah, keeping a player who's still uh, ascending but has now, I think, as we talked about last week, uh, you know, I don't know, 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes, 15 months or 18 months or however uh, you want to look at it, uh, of, of at least very solid production at a high level uh, for them, with obviously being the, the last few months of, of those being quite exceptional even. So that's a no-brainer in my opinion. As you said, his contract running out soon would other, uh, otherwise have uh, put them in the bind of probably having to sell him and you don't want to sell ascending players. Uh, unless it's for an absolutely absurd amount of money, which uh, you know Dahoud wouldn't have commanded in a COVID market. Um, given also, you know that Thomas Delaney's deal is up in twenty two. I think Axel Witzel's deal is up in twenty two. So, uh, give if if we're just looking at those three guys, I mean it's pretty obvious who should uh, get the first contract extension and perhaps even the only one, and that is the youngest guy who's still ascending instead of. Delaney, whose uh, playing style is probably not conducive to uh, playing at the highest of levels at, you know, 33, 34. And, and Witzel, obviously, coming off a major injury, uh, massively impressive to be involved in the Euros as he was. But, I mean, he's already on the wrong side of 30, if if we're allowed to say that, Stefan, has uh, <laughs> 80 minus. Yeah. Um, as for Hummels, uh, his contract would have extended automatically after, I don't know, 22 or so matches, I think I read. So uh, there wasn't any doubt that he was going to stay on longer than his current deal is running. Uh, I think they're going to tack on one year and, and then he's in that kind of uh, age and having achieved so much that you know he's probably going to take it year by year. Do I want to keep playing? Uh, as Matthias alluded to, I think it would be uh, a, a cool story to keep him around at Dortmund now that he's come back and is fully accepted again. I think, I mean, obviously they haven't played uh, in front of fans for so long that maybe I misremember things, but I don't think there was any, you know, uh, resentment or animosity towards him, you know, after that initial comeback from Bayern. So uh, he's arguably the most natural leader Dortmund have right now, even though Marco Reus is clearly the, the right choice for captaincy. 
uh, Hummels playing style is not uh, you know predicated on things that get worse with age usually so I don't see necessarily why he would get much worse over the next few years I mean at some point every player runs out of battery juice if you like but I, I could definitely see Hummels being still a very good at least Bundesliga defender at you know 34, 35 so to me another no-brainer and I think uh, there's already talk about Hummels being involved in other capacities uh, at the club after his playing career I don't know what his plans are uh, kind of can't see Hummels as a you know manager or getting involved in coaching youth players or whatever he's, but, he's, know, he's gonna he's, su succeed uh, Nobby Dickel as a net radio and stadium announcer I mean, that would make Dortmund's YouTube channel watchable, which right <laughs> now I don't think it is, at least if Norbert Dickel is involved. Um, yeah, I don't know what his plans are, you know, but obviously he's hugely intelligent, knows everything uh, there is to know about football, has been one of the most successful German players of his uh, time, so keeping those guys around, uh, never a bad idea. All right, so Lars, you were talking about ascending players. Uh, there are also descending players in Dortmund's team. Uh, Julian Brandt is one of them. Now, obviously, uh, it has been decided that he will stay on. I don't think that's big of a surprise to anyone, really. But uh, there were slight rumors that he might, I don't know, head off to Arsenal to re-energize his career, yada, yada. Um, nevertheless... Quickly, I wanted to ask you on the subject. Uh, is this, you think, a good decision by Dortmund to give Julian Brandt another chance and not try to uh, sort of cut their losses on the pandemic market? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, of his two years at Dortmund, I think a little more than half of that was really good. So you know that he's capable of doing it outside of Leverkusen. Uh, if that's something people were wondering about. So I think a coaching change is always a good idea to keep talented players around. And we, we know how talented Brandt is. Uh, he does and, look and in better physical shape on like the first images we've seen coming from like the early diagnosis. Yeah, but I, is, this, I never, is this something we I can never, read anything into or is this just like bullshit? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I remember the days of uh, scouring Mario Götze's Instagram account for <laughs> how, how he how he looked after you know summer break and spending time in LA with his then girlfriend now wife uh, no I don't think uh, especially given that you know what what we see is pretty much catered to what we should see outside of like a training live stream which I definitely didn't bother to watch what? with 12 players being around uh <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that the thing you mentioned about the COVID market is especially important uh, for these guys we know are much better than they showed over the last season or so. Uh, it doesn't make sense to sell on the cheap. And, you know, unless you get a great offer for someone like Brandt, uh, it's better to stick with them and see uh, whether they improve on the new coaching uh, in, you know, kind of a new environment. Uh, and if they don't, you know, you you... In a normal market, which I'm not sure we're going to see in 22, you will, you will probably, even after another disappointing season, uh, get the same that you would get now. So there's no real benefit in not having him around unless 
you definitely need the funds, which uh, after the Sancho deal is uh, kind of off the table for Dortmund. All right, so Matthias, uh, it's now the honor uh, on on you, I guess I bestowed on you to uh, talk to me about a player that's returning on loan, or rather from loan, uh, from SFT Köln, uh, Marius Wolf, I guess uh, a right winger slash right back. Uh, I think is especially in the in the latter stages of uh, Cologne's. Uh, sort of battle against relegation he was quite integral however uh, to me a player that never made sense to me to join Borussia Dortmund I, I saw where they were coming from but uh, I also felt like he cashed in on one good season at Frankfurt but does not really have the technical ability to really cut it with the other guys in Dortmund's midfield um, obviously he's someone uh, that can bring defensive stability that can you know, make a lot of uh, interesting runs and, and run into gaps. But I just feel like uh, when we talk about defensive stability, not losing the ball in silly moments is also part of defensive stability. So, um, yeah, not not someone that really can uh, win duels, 1v1, etc. So um, now he's back. Um, I have a hunch that Dortmund will not rid themselves off him so uh what kind of role do you foresee for marius wolf if any in the upcoming season uh well <laughs> uh, um so he had a very good season at frankfurt and then i would say he had a good season for köln and i think that summarizes a lot of things about who marius wolf is um he is a i think he would do well at hoffenheim um i think he would do well at stuttgart I don't think he is the kind of player for a team aspiring to do the things that Borussia Dortmund is aspiring to do. I think that was the nice way of saying something that doesn't make me sound like a total arrogant schmuck. <laughs> um, but I, it's hard for me to be like, oh, we should, they, you know, they should use him for X, Y, Z because I don't want to use him for X, Y, Z, A, B, or C. You know, I just. I just assume, you know, take your losses and move them on. You know, whether that's another loan or outright selling. Uh, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't see him as an upgrade on the right back position over Meunier or Moray. Um, because Meunier is better defensively than Marius Wolf. Marius Wolf is really, really fast. He's very athletic. Apparently he's good in corner situations, I've heard. Um, but he's really fast. He's like an Adama Traore. He's really fast. But Adama Traore at least has a little bit of technicality around him, even though I think he's total side tangent. Traore is totally overinflated by the English media. But Magnus Wolf is like that. He's really fast. And then that's, that's it. And I just don't think that's what Dot would need. You know, we don't need that type of player if he would combine the pace with great technical ability and final third finishing and some decent defensive abilities yeah then he's a Hakimi clone but that's not who he is and so I don't see him advancing Dortmund to where they want to be um, and I actually think he would help Dortmund regress a little bit because he will make those mistakes and he's not meant to play for a team 
that is on the front foot that will most likely have to break down opposition teams. I believe he is better suited for the team that is being that is trying to be broken down. That's an English sentence. Um, and hit hit teams on the counter. That's what he's made for, not Borussia Dortmund. So I personally just don't see him fitting in. And yeah, I could bullshit a place to put him, but that's what it would be, in my opinion, is bullshit. Well, Lars, do you want to bullshit a place to put Marius Wolf anywhere, or do you want to move on to the rumor mill? I mean, given Matteo More is unlikely to feature... Uh, I don't know, in the entire season, certainly the first half of the season, uh, you could make the case uh, that unless they get someone else in, he's your de facto second right-sided defender. I don't know if, you know, that that in a back four or uh, back five, what, what is going to end up happening. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of qualities that Dortmund are looking for, as Matthias pointed out, but, you know... Uh, If, if I'm looking at what Stefan Leiner brought to the table at Gladbach in terms of, you know, intensity and making all those runs uh, as like an auxiliary player in attack and defense, I could potentially envision a world in which Marius Wolf as, you know, the backup to Thomas Meunier isn't the absolute worst decision in Dortmund history. But, I mean, given the way I put it, I definitely would agree that it would be better for It was like 10 asterisks there. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's still, it's still a, 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 in the realm of possibility, I would say, that you know he has some kind of role, but it would be obviously better for them to, I don't want to say rid themselves of him, uh, because, I mean, they both signed a contract and I don't like uh, you know all the power being with the club. So if, if Marius Wolf decides I'm not going to get loaned out for a third time, I want to fight for my place while earning admittedly great wages, then that's his prerogative and more power to him. Uh, but I think if something came up which would give him the chance to be a, a full-time starter somewhere and Dortmund to improve possibly upon Wolf, then that would be something that I would be in favor of. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> uh, it's not the ideal situation, but I... I'm I'm fairly convinced that uh, Marius Wolf will get some playing time uh, in Dortmund, maybe as like a number I don't know, fifteen, sixteen in in the in the squad rotation. But I I really struggle to envision a world where uh, Dortmund will not be uh, uh, in need of his services. So um, you know, uh, there's that. Anyway, um, let's move on. Uh, and uh, I I guess we can start with the Rose quote, which I will now paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, but I think uh, he was pretty much talking about the replacement of Jaden Sancho and talking about when you lose him that uh, you should look for a winger that has speed and uh, crucially knows how to win a 1v1. And uh, I feel like in the modern football, I guess previously before too, and especially when you're Borussia Dortmund, There's really, I, I really have a hard time seeing a way to get around a player that can, you know, beat others 1v1, uh, having this quality of uh, dribbling around uh, defenders. I, I just really struggle to see how Dortmund, if they not find this sort of player type that was described uh, 
will be uh, successful in the long term. I, I just feel it's absolutely crucial to at least have one player uh, of, of this quality. But obviously, it's not easy to find these players. Um, I think the number one target in this role would be Noni Maduke of uh, Page Vey. Um, but I'm not entirely sure whether this is a realistic signing or target or not. Um, but Lars, maybe since you are the uh, or one of the editors for Fußball.news, maybe you have uh, read some more stuff in recent days that indicate one thing or another and maybe uh, already read up on, on his profile a little bit to talk about him. Um. I think the the reporting over the last few days kind of indicates that PSV know that they are going to lose uh, Daniel Malen, incidentally most likely to Dortmund, and uh, Denzel Dumfries, uh, who was uh, one of the standards for the Dutch national team at the Euros, uh, giving them enough uh, financial firepower to say no to uh, selling Madueke as well, unless there comes a significant offer or however you want to describe that and given that we assume kind of that Daniel Malen is going to be the big ticket signing for Dortmund this season I can't necessarily see them splashing uh, you know another I don't know 20 million on Madueke who doesn't necessarily remind me of Jane Sancho in the way he dribbles but in the way he plays all over the attack. I mean, Sancho was a winger by name, but oftentimes his average position would kind of uh, lie in the middle because he played on both wings and in uh, in, in the hole behind the striker, if you like. So uh, Madueke does the same thing in a, in a way. I mean, he can also play as a, a striker in a pinch, I suppose. He's a bit taller and, and more physical than uh, Sancho. Uh, it, the way he dribbles actually reminds me more of uh, Dembélé. Um, also his not, first not touch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Dembélé had, had, had the, the that quick first step or, or first few steps where even if his first touch isn't great, he uh, is beating defenders to the punch, if you like, and, and you know, chasing down his own uh bad or not necessarily high quality first touch which you know Madweke has a few too many of um, he's still obviously a very young player uh, going the, the difficult route of uh, leaving I think Spurs Academy so Matthias might know more about him in, in that regard going to Paceway playing for their youth team and only last season really coming on strong under Roger Schmidt uh, the German coach so I think actually for his development, it might not be the worst idea to actually spend more time at Paceway, uh, getting more playing time also because they're going to lose Marlon and need to replace that attacking output. So I'm not convinced that he's actually going to end up in Dortmund anyway. So if that's the case, and I have a hunch it is, Matthias, uh, that puts Dortmund maybe in quite a bind because I don't have any um, obvious uh alternatives uh, on my table obviously uh, i do not get any scouting reports neither do i really seek them out to be honest i have read and i'm not sure what's to it that dortmund have shown interest in uh, leverkusen's leon bailey who is 23 years old and whose contract is running out in 2023 i think he was uh heavily linked for a while with uh 
Bayern Munich. Um, would that be a decent option and would it be a feasible option for Dortmund if uh, Madueke is in fact not coming to the Black and Yellows? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think um, Bailey and his representation are clearly eyeing uh, the Premier League and may as well head there uh, after Leverkusen. Um, my issues with Bailey is the fact that, or are that he is a very hot and cold player, in my opinion. I also see, you know, if I look at the rumor list uh, on Transfermarkt, like David Neres is on there from Ajax, very gifted player, but he's also very hot and cold. Very hit and miss. Dortmund already have a couple of those. <laughs> and um, Sancho, yes, he was a little hit and miss in the beginning, but he was very consistent overall over the last three seasons. A few little spots here and there like everybody has. And uh, Leon Bailey, to me, you know, I'm not going to say his mentality issues, but some, I, I just have a lot of question marks there, and I just don't think it would be the right move for club or player, to be honest. Um, when I look at players that are listed on there that kind of fit a wing role that are other names that don't play for PSV, uh, just go through that. I mean, Jonathan Ikone is on there from Lille, but I think he'd be way too much money. Uh, Rafinha from Leeds, same thing, too much money. Um, then you look at someone like Wilfried Zaha, too much money. Callum Hudson-Odoi, too much money. I just don't see any of those really coming through. I think it'll be Daniel Malin and then kind of seeing the players that Dortmund do have at their disposal uh, at the current time. And and possibly, I mean, who knows? Maybe Mukoko, you shift him out to the wing occasionally and have him kind of in that floater role because he has the skill he has the speed. Uh, he has the size to be on the wing because he's not a huge, big guy. Um, he could still become that because he's so young. But so I think Dortmund have options already internally. If you add Daniel Malin, I think then you're you're kind of in a good position because Torgan Azad he can provide those unique spark moments. I mean, not quite like Jaden Sancho could, but I think then you've you kind of have what you have everybody else. I just don't see anybody being more financially feasible than Madweke. And Lars already said all the reasons why PSV probably wouldn't necessarily let all of their good attacking players go in one season. Yeah. Also you can make the case that when Dortmund actually splash the cash for Daniel Malen, uh, that's maybe a player like Madweke is uh, then not on the list because Dortmund also have other gaps to fill. Lars, let me switch it around to you and maybe broaden the discussion a little bit. A, um, if Dortmund do not get a replacement like for like for Jaden Sancho, which I don't think Marlon really is, um, do you think that they're going to try to get someone or as uh, Matthias just alluded to, maybe try to solve this internally with, uh, you know, hoping that... Uh, Mokoko, Reina, and Hazard sort of improve, and maybe Julian Brandt can play a role, maybe in a different setup. Um, in in that regard, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and uh, 
if you think that, that uh, it's actually not going to be a like for like replacement, where do you think Dortmund should splash their remaining resources if they have any uh, in what areas of, of the of the pitch? Well, I've kind of touched on, on uh, you know, Marlon as the Sancho replacement last week, which, as you said, isn't really like for like. Uh, Marlon is much more of an attacking player, even though he started out wide at PSV as well. Uh, I mean, attacking player in the sense of playing in a two-man striker setup uh, as kind of the role that I think he would probably be best in, in my limited experience of his qualities, uh, to be fair. Um I mean, we can assume that they are trying to get someone else as well. I think uh, it definitely makes some sense to at least try to replicate some of the qualities Sancho has had that Marlon doesn't bring to the table, uh, just to diversify uh, your assets, if you like, and, and uh, get or have higher chances of being successful. I mean, basically, uh, Replacing Sancho with two players would be a good idea because you are very, very, very unlikely to get hit, uh, one player who's going to be as good as Jaden Sancho was over the last three seasons, especially. But uh, as we've now talked about, it kind of feels hard to point out who that might be uh, unless it is Madweke for uh, whatever deal they can hash out with uh, Eindhoven. So... Um, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that uh, Dortmund are going to play in a 4-4-2 diamond with uh, Marlon and Haaland or Haaland and Mukoko or Marlon and Azar. So a lot of uh, flexibility up front in personnel and also in kind of playing style. And in that kind of system, uh, the need for a, a dribbler is not as high as in other uh, formations so I think the the smart money is probably on Dortmund not finding a like for like replacement for Sancho so eliminating the the highest of needs for such a player I mean obviously you would still like to have a Sancho type even if you're playing a diamond just put him uh, anywhere and he's going to produce um, but you know it doesn't seem likely especially this being uh, you know a COVID market and Dortmund not only splashing the cash as you put it on players, but also needing to uh, you know cover some of the losses they've had over uh, this last year and a half or so. And and given that also, I'm not convinced that they are going to end up doing much more than signing uh, Marlon. I mean, I definitely can't see them, uh, which is being rumored, especially today again from local media in minds that they are going to spend uh, 15 to 20 million on Jeremia Saint-Just, who is a good defender, uh, very pacey, could play centre-half or uh, right-back in certain uh, systems uh, that Marco Rose might run. But I can't see them uh, spending that much uh, on a player who quite possibly doesn't improve your starting eleven this season. Um, the only other thing that makes sense to me uh, is the rumor about uh, Marcel Halstenberg of Leipzig, who I think it's fairly safe to assume is going to end up coming to Dortmund. The question is more, is it this year for a moderate transfer fee or next season on a free transfer? Uh, he's very versatile defensively as a left-side center-half or a left-back, could also play left-wing-back. 
which you know would offer them some sort of solution for uh, Guerrero. Uh, the backup situation with Nico Schulz isn't, as we all know, uh, you know, ideal for Dortmund. Could play in a pinch at you know left side centre back or not necessarily in the pinch in the back three. I think he's their most logical solution at left side centre back uh, with Hummels in the middle and Akanji on the right. Uh, allowing Emre Can to be exclusively a defensive midfielder, which I think uh, makes sense in our opinion, if I can say that. Yeah. Uh, also with, as I said before, Delaney and Witzel possibly not being around for too much longer. Uh, you know, that, that would make some sense to me. And if, for whatever reason, like if they get a lot of money for Bilkey and Schulz and Wolf and they have too much money lying around, obviously... A right back or a center of the camp play, uh, play right back uh, would be on my quote unquote wish list. But I mean, I think fans need to realize what kind of situation the club is in. They didn't expect and plan for a, an entire season without spectators last season. Um, we already know that there's going to be a limited access for fans this season, which uh, they are also not particularly happy about. So uh, we can't just spend their cash wantonly in in the COVID market, and they are definitely not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, if I could uh, sell players, just like you know, if if regardless of whether Dortmund would uh, have to find a, a buying club or not, you know, I I probably obviously uh, would would try to get rid of uh, Munier. I would try to uh, sell Schulz. Witzel definitely too. I don't think he has much of a future. I'm not entirely sure whether we need Felix Paslak and uh, Marius Wolf also should be out the door <laughs> in my book. And yeah, uh, I think that's it for now. I actually would keep Brandt. Uh, Delaney, obviously a player I like, so I personally wouldn't sell him, but uh, I can see an argument for for doing so as well. Uh, if I didn't mention Emre Can as a player that should be sought, um, I'm doing it now because uh, also not my most favorite uh, footballer. So, yeah, uh, I, I would obviously clear house quite a bit, um, but uh, I know that's obviously not going to happen. So I don't know how satisfying this transfer summer will be for anyone, really. Um, Matthias, if we look at a 4-4-2 diamond shape now... Um, I think who will play in the back four is pretty clear. You know, it probably will be Guerrero on the left, then you'll have Hummels, Akanji in central defense, and then on the right you will have Meunier uh, if nothing else happens. But uh, how would you actually form that diamond? I feel like that's a nice little exercise uh, before we end this show, and then I'll have Lars do the same exercise. So get ready, Lars. Well, um, let's see. The diamond in midfield. Uh, I'm going to start at the top of the diamond. I feel like that's probably going to be Marco Reus's position um, because he could also drift a little bit there. At the base of the diamond, I could see Rosa opting for a very steady and safe pair of hands, so to speak, or pair of feet in Axel Witzel. And then the two ahead of Witzel, I would see the chance. Say the chances are very good that that would be a Dahoud Bellingham 
combo. Uh, with if Malin comes, then you'd have Malin and Holland up top. That's how I could envision it forming. Sounds very four three three e, but uh, fair enough, Lars. What do you think? How is it going to yeah. shake out? I think uh, in a perfect world, at least against most opponents, that's probably what I would go with as well. So I'm going to give you the alternative of assuming Marcel Halstenberg coming to Dortmund this season already, which I think is definitely still on and mostly dependent on Leipzig getting uh, Maxence Lacroix out of Wolfsburg, which in turn might be dependent on Sebastian Borno of, uh, or Bornau, I don't necessarily know, of Cologne going to Wolfsburg, so a lot of transfer dominoes to fall, if you like. Uh, so assuming Halstenberg comes, I could see, especially, uh, you know, in certain situations, him playing left-back, Guerrero playing left-central midfielder, which would then give you the option of playing Dahoud at the base of midfield. So let's assume they are expecting to have, I don't know, 75% possession against Bielefeld or someone of that ilk. Uh, I could see Dahoud as the six, if you like, uh, if you want to call it that, Bellingham as the right-sided eight, Guerrero as the left-sided eight, you know, in that playmaking role he played under Tuchel for some time, uh, and obviously Reus at the top of uh, the diamond with, uh, you know, as Matthias said, in, in in an ideal world that is probably going to be Holland and Marlin, but might just as well be uh, Mokoko and Azar, or I don't want to say Tigges and uh, Gio Reyna or <laughs> Grenier, if he's even going to be around, but just to illustrate that they have a lot of options. And the great thing about the idea of uh, the diamond, which is a system Rosa definitely likes, uh, to me is that especially the the three lower halves or lower parts of the diamond can especially with the you know the personnel Dortmund have available can be quite interchangeable uh, as well as the top of the diamond and the two strikers so if you have uh, let's let's go with what Matthias said Witzel, Dahoud and Bellingham they can all appear in in you know at the base of midfield they can all appear in the Half spaces, uh, Reus, Marlin, and Haaland. I mean, you would assume that Haaland is, you know, the the, the forward-most player of those three, but they will definitely uh, switch positions here and there and and make runs that confuse and uh, stress the defense. So I think there's a lot of potential uh, for flexibility, which in the wake of losing perhaps your single most creatively dominant player in Sancho would definitely serve Dortmund well. So the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of talking myself into the idea that it would make the most sense also in the sense of uh, not being able to replace Sancho like for like. So let's not even try that. Let's instead try to focus on, you know, broadening the spectrum. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I'm also very intrigued to see how and where Julian Brandt would fit into that equation because I, I think m mostly I would have him as like a Marco Reus deputy where he plays in that hole as well as a number 10. I don't know how much I want him in, in defensive midfield because his defensive liability is still too much of a, well, liability. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's that's the role of a super sub. Uh, obviously, um, when Dortmund spent 25 million on him, I, I think he was more planned as a 
play as a starter. I also wonder uh, what this season will bring for Gio Reyna, who, uh, you know, is 18, still very young, but uh, we know that players with a lot of talent at his age also uh, want more, <laughs> more playing time. And uh, I think he had quite an okay run in terms of playing time last season and uh, wants to build on that. Obviously, Jude Bellingham has been quite terrific and uh, I see him play a lot. I also don't know how fit and how healthy Vistel actually will be in the long term. You know, his uh, return has been miraculous, but let's see how that goes in the long term. Um, There's one rumor, obviously, uh, that popped up in the last days uh, was that of Marcel Sabitzer from uh, RB Leipzig joining Dortmund. Uh, I don't think that's uh, a, a realistic thing that's going to happen. Uh, Matthias, do you think Dortmund have to worry about uh, him joining Dortmund. I'm not. The, I personally am not the biggest Marcel Sabitzer fan, so this would be a transfer that I'm not entirely psyched about. To be honest, it would be like, I I don't want to liken this transfer to an Emre Can transfer, but uh, you know, what would you make of this? But uh, I I honestly don't think it's gonna I, happen. I don't think it's gonna happen for a few reasons. One, financially, I think uh, Leipzig would probably want too much money. I think Zabitza would want too much money. And I don't see a place for him in the side. Um, I mean, who would you take out to put him in where you're going to say, ah, oh, well, that makes sense. That's a significant upgrade over what Dortmund have. I just don't see anybody that fits that. So I think it's, you know, before recording, you know, Lars made the great point of maybe it's just, you know, an agent putting out the name to kind of drive up the interest to move him somewhere else, which I think that's more likely. A Dortmund would be a weird choice for me for both the club and for him because that's not really an area of the pitch where Dortmund need any more players. All right. I think uh, that should conclude this episode. I'm sure we'll have more stuff to discuss next week. Lars, are there any final thoughts or words you want to uh, lose or say uh, before we leave this platform no <laughs> okay well it could have been that there is something i overlooked that you wanted to mention or not so um yeah i mean uh do we need to talk about a possible delaney exit to wolfsburg which has been rumored for a, yeah. a number of times i don't now? know i don't really i don't i don't i'm not feeling this one i don't know i don't think that delaney if he were to move that Wolfsburg would be the destination. I'd rather see him in the Premier League, to be honest. I don't yeah, I think know. he he probably thinks that himself. But Wolfsburg is a Champions League side this season, uh, and they have, if you uh, think about it, kind of a spiritual predecessor of uh, Thomas Delaney in their new head coach Mark van Bommel, who was <laughs> much more of an asshole than Delaney. But I was going to uh, say, somewhat, I don't know how, some, how much somewhat, I'm liking this comparison. Yeah, but somewhat similar, you know, in terms of, I mean, Delaney's not an asshole on the pitch, but he's definitely a nuisance who, in his own words, uh, as he once admitted, likes to commit fouls and doesn't mind collecting bookings if it helps the team. So I could definitely see a world in which Mark von Bobel looks at Delaney and thinks that kind of player is kind of what I wanted to be uh, without the shithousery to the absolute last degree so <laughs> I could see that happening but uh, the 
still more likely, as you said, that he's going to England. But I do think there's a very real chance that he's not ending uh, his contract at Dortmund next season, um, given, you know, as, as we talked about, they have quite a few options in midfield. He's, I think, 29 years old. Uh, and especially after strong performances at the Euros, should have a market in the Premier League. So I think, uh, as included, as we talked about last week, him being the most underrated Dortmund player, we need to prepare ourselves potentially for the exit of Delaney, which in turn should give them uh, uh, more funds for other things. Well, that's something uh, that we can shift over to next week, I find, uh, or the week after that. I don't know whether it will be on weekly or bi-weekly. We'll see. Uh, in the meantime, though, Matthias, how can people uh, read more of you on the internet? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Matiasuk. Very well. And Lars, where can people find you and your work? Uh, I'm not going to talk about my work because it's in German and people always ask for translations and I'm not a translation service. So just follow me on Twitter or don't at Lars Polman. <laughs> Fair enough. You can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wall Pod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the show, You can do that via SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, can even Google us in uh, the Google podcast. <laughs> Just type in yellow wallpot as one word and you'll find it. Uh, I'll, I, I can watch for it. It's there. Also, you can subscribe to our channel on YouTube and uh, all the other good stuff. So please subscribe and like and whatnot. And in the meantime, uh, I'll be off now and uh, have some nice lunch. Although it's, it's pretty late for that already, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I hope everyone stays safe. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. Good. Bye. <laughs>